0: I'm going to talk today around Pentecost because it's Pentecost Sunday, Um, but I have a a real expectation um, that the Lord's going to move. So will you just stand in faith with me, just lift your hands, Holy Spirit, I just ask for your anointing, thank you for your presence and just for sensitivity uh, to what you want to do and what you want to say this morning, Lord. So we, we welcome you and Lord, we don't want to get stuck in just what we know. But we really do want to follow you. So we love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read in a second. I wanted to just start off and just share um, this very simply. I don't think, I think we, we, we've tried to uh, teach more on Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, but I still don't think we do enough. Um, and the reason for that is, honestly, there's nothing in the Christian life that we can become that we don't receive from the Holy Spirit first. In other words, it is absolutely impossible to walk out Christianity or to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Good. No, 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 no worries. That's not, I'm thinking more that I got very few amens there. I was, wait, I was expecting a few more. Um, I'm, that's a hard one on the 24-7 family. Come on. You know what happens. Eh? If you don't amen me, I preach longer. So if you got, uh, <laughs> Jamie's going to be screaming just now. Uh, so Holy Spirit, we, when we talk about the person of the Holy Spirit, I just want you to understand we're not talking about uh, an atmosphere. We're not talking about a vibe. We're not talking about goosebumps. We're not talking about, uh, you know, just a manifestation. We're talking about God. We're talking about the person of the Holy Spirit who's part of the Trinity. And he's the one that Jesus said it's better that he goes so that we'd receive the Holy Spirit. And there's, there is a dream of God that God introduced to us in the garden. He's taken us on a journey and he's now put his Spirit inside of us. And we have to understand that being filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit being in our lives is not just about an experience or a moment or being equipped to get through life. It is the awakening of God's dream inside of his people. So when we understand this, we're no longer chasing a moment with the Holy Spirit to feel better about why I'm here. We're actually going after the very dream of God and allowing His Spirit to unlock, activate, mobilize, and awaken His heart inside of us because suddenly you begin to realize you were born for something more than this world, right? So when I talk about the Holy Spirit, I know for me it's very personal because I know without Him I would actually be dead, either dead or probably, I don't know, in prison or something, because my, you know, when I was in a place of brokenness, I knew God was real, and I was never, it was never a question or a doubt about, are you real or are you good? I knew he was real. I knew he was good. I just didn't know how to get there. Are you with me? I'd seen him do things. I'd seen him heal people. I'd seen him do amazing miracles. My journey was, God, you're real and you're good. I'm awful. I just don't know how to get to that place with you. And it was when I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit who revealed the person of Jesus to me, that suddenly something was awakened in my heart. And what's incredible is that people have a misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit, and they're afraid of Him because they think that when He comes, He's just going to tell you how bad you are. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous of the conviction of the Holy Spirit because He knows everything about me. And so when He begins to show all, the, all my sin and my junk, how am I supposed to get close to God? So we have a misunderstanding of His heart, but the reality is the Holy Spirit convicts you of righteousness. And if He's going to convict you of sin, it's just one sin. If you study it, it's one sin. It's not plural sin. It's one, and it's unbelief. In other words, Holy Spirit never operates in your life to bring guilt, shame, or condemnation. Never, never, never. It is not in the heart of God to bring guilt, shame, or condemnation. There are three tools of hell that God will never use. So the Holy Spirit in our lives is not the one who brings a conviction of your failure, to make you emphasize it or see it or focus on it. He's the one who comes and says, here's an area in your life where there might be unbelief. Here's the truth of of who you are in me, righteousness. Believe this and come into your created value and purpose. It's the Holy Spirit who liberates us from sin. (laughs) Are you with me? And I'm saying this because I realize more and more that, um, and and especially because I've been exposed to maybe a, a more diverse uh, expression of the church in South Africa, there is still a fear around the person of the Holy Spirit. There is still fear around what He's like. And and so when I'm going through a bad time, I ignore Him. This is the majority of people. I'll ignore the Holy Spirit because I'm I'm not feeling good. I'm I'm going through a, a bad time. I've made some mistakes. Maybe I just haven't been a good representation of God. And so let me just ignore the Holy Spirit for a while until I feel better about myself, and then I'll pay attention to Him. What we don't realize is that He's the very Spirit of Jesus inside of you that's making you like Jesus. You see, here's here's what's important for you to understand. God is not looking for your attempt to be like Him. Because you just can't. you got to hear this. God is not looking for your attempt or your best shot at being like Him. What He's looking for is His Jesus, His Christ in you. That's what the Holy Spirit produces. The Holy Spirit is going to reveal and produce the marks of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, the personality of Jesus inside of you. And it's going to come out in uniqueness because God has created you uniquely. But the reality is Jesus, He's the only one whose reputation stands in heaven. He's the only one who's worthy to be known, who's worthy to be remembered and loved and glorified and exalted. And so God's not looking for you to try and be like Him. It'll never happen. But when He puts His Spirit inside of you, there's something of the person of Jesus that comes alive. And suddenly, you begin to look like Him because He's in you, not because you're trying your best to be like Him. Are you, are you understanding this? And now, here's, here's another lie that we've believed for a long time. We often approach the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I'll talk about that in a second. We talk about encounters with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit as a very individual experience. Right? That's why you're looking at me. <laughs> Thank you. And, and to a degree, it is. But if you study the New Testament and if you study Paul's writings, his whole emphasis is on the people of God, plural. And what's interesting is with the Holy Spirit, the way in is individual, right? He wants to touch your heart personally, fill you individually, personally. He wants to saturate you, consume you, baptize you, immerse you in Himself. But there's actually, there's a whole point to this. It's not just so that you can be filled with God, believe it or not. It's actually because He's building a people for His glory. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is actually impossible to be filled with the Holy Spirit and not be joined to the people of God. It's why we have so many people calling certain things His presence or the Holy Spirit or intimacy or anointing, and it's not God because it's disconnected from the people of God. I'm going to just explain this a little more before we get in, otherwise we're going to miss a few things. God knows you so personally and He loves you so personally. He's after your heart. He wants to touch you. He wants to fill you. But what he's coming back for is not a bunch of scattered individuals. He's just not, right? He's not coming back for a group of people that just learned how to have good quiet times. So with the intimacy language that's coming into the church, I love it because it's something that we lacked for a long time. Personal intimacy with God, walking with Him, knowing Him, friendship with God. We need that. But I need you to understand as well as the people of God that that's not the end of the story that actually that's the, that's the way in. That's, that's unlocking the gate and walking into the dream of God. But his dream is that he's returning for a, a bride and a body and a temple where we come together all filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we're in one place together, heaven and earth touch. Are you with me? It's like suddenly we're realizing, hold on, the dream of God is that He wants to fill sons and daughters. He wants to uh, uh, fill His bride, minister to His bride, release the person of the Holy Spirit to the people of God. And it's the Spirit's responsibility to prepare a body and a bride for His glory. And you see it straight away because Jesus does this really interesting thing. And I, as a leader of, of a church, I, I looked through the Word. I said, God, give me, give me the practicals of what you want. Tell me, I want to find, show me how long are we supposed to meet? <laughs> I want to know how long worship should be, how long the preaching should be, how often we should gather, you know, and so you, you, this is sometimes how you think, like, Lord, I wish you just hand me down a manual with like step, you know, you know what I'm talking about, bro, it's like, you know, are we allowed lights or not, you know? It's like, you wish that we'd have this, but here's the reality, I study the, the Gospels and here's Jesus, he's taking these people on a journey, he's preparing a group of people, he's going to use them to introduce the dream of God on the earth right? And this is what he does. He teaches them about who he is. He teaches them about his kingdom, and he demonstrates it in power. And then he gives them this one instruction. Now, can you imagine? He's raised from the dead. He's going to go back seated at the right hand of the Father. And now I'm thinking, this is the moment. You know, here's what I want you to do, guys. You're going to meet every Sunday at this time, and this is how the church is going to operate. No, he doesn't do that. He, he says one thing. He says, wait until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Tarry in Jerusalem until you receive Him. In other words, if I can paraphrase it, don't do anything until you receive the Holy Spirit. And He has this confidence. Jesus has this confidence in the person of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is going to actually remind the church of the words of Jesus. He's going to reveal Jesus to the church. He's going to lead them into all truth. In other words, Jesus came to introduce the kingdom, and He's he's now introduced Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit's going to introduce the bride. So when Jesus in John 19 is hanging on the cross and he gets pierced in his side, and then we know he says, uh, it is finished. And, and I think it's the Aramaic. Nancy might have to correct me here. I think it's the Aramaic. And the word is like Kala K-A-L-A-H, Kala. And, and when you study it, it's, it's a word that's used to describe a, the perfection of a bride on her wedding day. It's completion, finished. Like, like the journey of, of this moment is finished. And so Jesus, when He says it's finished, He's not just saying the task is complete. He's saying it's finished that I've now made a way for my bride. I've now actually introduced birth. Blood and water comes out of His side. When's the the other time where you see blood and water? Well, birth. So He gives birth to a bride out of His side. Now I'm rhyming. (laughs) Out of His side. So we should abide. (laughs) <laughs> That's as far as I'm going. Uh, he gives birth to his bride. He, he, there's this completion because now we're in him, which means we're righteous with his righteousness, not self sufficient, uh, our self sufficiency or an attempt at, at self sufficiency. So we, we become the bride of Christ. He says it's finished. He says we're perfect. He says we're complete. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit. And, and when he tells us to wait for the Holy Spirit, it's like it's amazing because I think about this group of people, and this is what they didn't do they didn't all go back to their individual homes and wait for him. They didn't go, thank you for the instruction, Jesus. Okay, good. It was such a great time these last three years. High fives. And uh, hey, I'll see you around. Let's see what happens. Uh, and off you go back to your home and wait for them. No, they gathered in one place together and they waited together. Are you with me? So the Holy Spirit hasn't even come yet. And you're, you already were seeing that this whole thing is about to introduce what God's going to do through the people of God on the earth. Then they're gathered together. We know that Jesus gives them the instruction before he leaves. He says you'll be filled with power, right, to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we know that, okay, the Holy Spirit's coming, and He's actually going to empower people to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, right? So we know, I mean, it's it's impossible for us to think that the church does not have a missional mandate. The, The Holy Spirit is the greatest apostle ever. He's got that apostolic pioneering thing of like everywhere we go, we want to take the gospel. But Acts chapter 2, we get to this moment. It says this, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here's this moment. They're gathered together in one place and there comes this rushing wind and the sound and the Spirit of God comes into the room and this is what's so beautiful. Individual tongues of fire upon every single head. But they're together. So there's this personal infilling and baptism and touch of the spirit of god but the point is to be together they begin to speak in other tongues it says this verse 5 and they were dwelling in jerusalem they were dwelling in jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven and when the sound occurred the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language this astounds me can you imagine, you're in Jerusalem, there's people from all the surrounding nations, all the different areas, different languages, and they're in Jerusalem for the festival, for this, this feast, and, and this event happens, and there's a sound that everybody hears. It is so profound that the Spirit of God has broken into the earth, and He's filled a room full of people that were prepared to gather and wait. And when this happens, that they begin to speak in these other languages and tongues, and people are coming, and they're beginning to hear the wonders of God, the gospel, being preached in their language. Immediately what you need to see here is God is all about unity and diversity. Not division, diversity. Immediately the introduction of Holy Spirit is celebrating diversity and saying, I actually care about your heart language. I'm going to speak in your heart language. I want to minister to all the nations, but the point is come together. Are you seeing this? It's really interesting. The point of Holy Spirit coming was not just, hey, let me just fill you. He's actually building something. So we see them come, and it says, verse 7, Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and uh, Medes and Elamites, I don't know if I'm saying this right, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, come on, represent, and the parts of Libya adjoining uh, serene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Think about this for a moment. This is the first time something like this has ever happened where there's this supernatural moment, and what it's doing is it's automatically unifying different nations and cultures simply because there's one spirit that's been released and, and, and given to the people of God that is now expressing multiple languages, reaching a whole bunch of different types of people. Listen to that list. Immediately, those people are recognizing, whoa, this, what, what is actually, I'm, I'm confused because this is so incredible and so powerful. And what it's doing is it's brought everybody from every nation and tribe and language together into one place. These are thousands of people coming to the sound. Then we know um, Peter's sermon. He gets up and he begins to preach. Firstly, I love that it says, and I have to emphasize this, verse 13, others mock them saying they are full of new wine. (laughs) And Peter actually gets up, verse 15, and he says, "Uh, these these people are not drunk as you suppose. So let me just point this out to you. They obviously look drunk. Because he said, they're not drunk as you suppose. So they obviously, these guys were so filled. And let me just say this. Let's tackle the religious spirit real quick. Do you think your body's going to handle the all-consuming fire of God when it comes and touches you in in fire and manifests His presence upon your body? Are we so prideful and arrogant in ourselves that we actually think that this little mortal vessel is going to contain Him? It's the same way we think that our intelligence and this tiny little pip of a brain uh, actually thinks that we're going to understand God that we're going to figure him out and explain everything? Now, am I saying, am I against intelligence and education? No, of course not. But you were given intelligence. You were given the ability to learn for one simple reason, to facilitate the revelation of God, what he deposits into your spirit, man. You were given the ability to actually interpret and facilitate and steward what he pours inside of you. And so Peter gets up and he's like, they're not drunk as you suppose. When he says, it's like, it's early in the morning, man. These guys are not, they haven't been drinking. They've been touched by the living God. Then we go on and we see, for the sake of time, I'm going to move a little bit uh, faster. Peter begins to preach the gospel. It's really incredible. And uh, we get to verse 37. Now, when they heard this, Peter preaches the gospel. He says, hey, Jesus has been raised. This is what he said was going to happen. Lost sons and daughters from far off to come to Him. The nature of the Holy Spirit is He's going to gather a people. Yes, He's going to fill you. Yes, He's going to reveal Himself to you, reveal Jesus to you. You're going to experience Him in the most remarkable ways. But you're not called to be scattered stones. He's actually drawing us together because He's building something, a dwelling place for Him. And then we see, verse 40, a vital church grows. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. One day, right? 3,000 souls added. And they continued steadfastly. Listen to the, the culture that comes from a people built on the Holy Spirit. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul. That's not uh, earthly fear. That's reverence and awe. Reverence and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, emphasis, and breaking bread from house to house, So we can just silence whether we're supposed to gather in big places or just in the houses. Both. All of it. Everywhere. Just gather. Right? They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I don't know if you've seen this. This looks very different than maybe how we go about things. When you build a community or when you're you're built on the presence of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to do marketing. You don't have to convince people that they should come and sit in the chair for a good Sunday morning. (laughs) So we've never had a heart. That's why we're in this room. It's never been about trying to fill rooms. It's about seeing people filled. Because what happens is when the Spirit of Jesus fills you, you get grafted into the body and the bride. And I promise you, I said it earlier, I'm going to say it again. It is impossible. Absolutely impossible to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and not to be submitted and grafted into the body and the bride. It's impossible. And so when you, when you begin to study through the New Testament, Paul, every time he's addressing the church, it's so interesting, even when he confronts sin, he's talking to the church corporately. And he's actually saying, why did you allow that? Because that's not who you are. His letters are are, are to the corporate uh, church, the the, the group of believers that are getting together. And and the reason for that is because the Holy Spirit's preparing us. It's why there's coming uh, a a time and the spirit of the bride are going to say, come, and he's actually returning. And the Holy Spirit will have prepared a people for him. God's design for you is he wants to rule and reign with a bride, with a family for all of eternity. You see it in Paul's writings. Paul emphasizes the church in three ways. First one, family. That's where bride fits in. The second one, body. And the third one, temple. And so you see this, Jesus is building a church. It's far more uh, than, than just services. It's far more than an organization. It's not. It's the people of God coming together under the leadership of Jesus, under the government of heaven, filled with the Spirit of God, being equipped in every way to do what He's called us to do, and partnering together to see heaven come on the earth. And so we should have an expectation in our hearts. I hope you're hearing me this morning. We should have an expectation in our hearts that when we're together as the people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, anything can happen. Because heaven on earth, what God wants to do, you know, there's a, uh, an incredible theologian. His name's Gordon Fee. And he said something so amazing. He said, the Holy Spirit is preparing an end time church. That's what he's doing. And he has been doing that since Jesus uh, went to the Father. He just does, that's what he's doing. He's preparing a people for his glory. But he, he's preparing a people that will live in the future now. In other words, it's a heavenly people, a, a very Holy Spirit-filled spiritual people who are aware of the reality of eternity and they're living that reality now. And that's why when you, when, when you look at the true church, it should astound you. It should be almost like, who are these people? They're like children of another dimension. They don't fit into society. They don't fit into the the, the stream of of culture and and what's happening now. They they break the mold because they're living for a different reality than what you see in front of them. They're not shaken by hardship and persecution and struggle. Why are they not shaken? Because they're living for something that far surpasses this realm. Are you with me? And maybe, maybe you're hearing this and you're like, bro... I had, I had a rough week, dude. This is a little heavy for, and I'm saying to you, well, let's maybe stop having rough weeks. Like maybe we should just stop settling for, for a bad week and a bad day. Are you with me? Because see, I don't think Jesus pays the price that he pays, the ultimate sacrifice, and then still makes it difficult for you to actually walk in him. That would be an insult to the sacrifice of Jesus. He said, it's finished. In other words, I've done everything. Uh, Nancy read it on Friday, 2 Peter. Everything that pertains to life and godliness has been given to you. Given to you. So the Holy Spirit is the very Spirit of Jesus who's been given to you. He's equipping you for every good work. He's prepared you for, for this time on the earth. And so what we need as the church is to learn how to live in Him. And when you learn how to live in the Spirit, it's amazing how suddenly the love that you have for one another, it's a supernatural kind of love. The care that you have for others, the fact that you're, you're, you're not offended so easily anymore. You know, offense is only because you care more about you than the other person. It's just the truth. We're, we're, offense is when we, we're actually concerned more about how that made me feel than actually why you said what you said. And if we're carrying the heart of God and somebody says something that's hurtful, I can look at them free. My heart is free and I can look at them and see, wow, something's happening in that person's life that's causing this bitterness or that's causing this. And so, Lord, help me to have a heart for them to love them. You see, the church that the Holy Spirit is preparing, they're an incredible group of people. They're not just a group of people that know how to get together and sing worship songs. They're a group of people that are beginning to demonstrate the heart of God in community there are a group of people, we just read it, who sell their possessions to make sure no one's in need. We're not there yet. We're on the way. Holy Spirit's preparing us. But this is the introduction also, just to let you know. Jesus prophesied greater things, and we think greater things means, you know, trying to walk on water or something. But it's greater things. And the reality is it's greater things because it's more and more people. It's the bride. Can I just say this? Is everybody okay, firstly? Are you right? I know I'm I'm like, I'm shotgun here, just, you know. But here's the thing. We're crying out, and the global church is talking about revival, right? And I believe in revival with my whole heart. And we're crying out for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But my fear, as I'm studying the New Testament again and again, my fear is that we're looking for some sort of external thing to come on a certain location. Instead of looking to become the location that it falls on. Are you with me? It's like we're trying to... This is why it, that we have more church events now than we've ever had in history. Events. I'm not just talking about activity as a church. I'm talking about event. Like, let's just keep event, 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 conference, conference, conference. And I love conferences. I think we need more of them because the reality is we need to gather way more. They gathered every day. We do once a week, if we're lucky, sometimes twice a month for some people. That landed harder than I, yeah. Hey, if it's conviction, take it. Let the Lord do that work. <laughs> yeah, that was sorry. Anyway, I'm not really sorry. I just love you. But what, what if, what if the, glo- thank you. I'm getting more amens. Jamie, you got to pick it up, all right? <clears throat> <Yeah. laughs> what if the glory that's coming on the church is the church? What if we're looking for something to fall that's actually going to come from within us? What if what Jesus is looking for is a bride for his glory? And he calls that the last outpouring that's going to hit the world where sons and daughters are prophesying. Old men are, are you with me? Joel 2, Acts 2, we see. What if that is actually the people of God are rising up in a spirit of revival? And suddenly there's a bride from every tribe, every tongue, every nation that's being made ready. And now we're not getting into a room and desperately crying out for God to do something he already did. He did it 2,000 years ago. He's put it in your heart. What he's looking for is a people that will yield and follow the Holy Spirit, a group of people who will actually die to themselves. You know, I want to just touch on this very quickly. Um, When Jesus feeds the 5,000, now this, really hear this, this this will touch your heart. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, there's 5,000 men plus women and children. So you're talking conservatively 8,000 or more people, right? Maybe even 10,000, but let's just say 8,000. He feeds them all and he sends them off with takeaway boxes, right? That's the kind of multiplication. They get fed and there's leftover. But isn't it interesting that if you read it, it says that after this, their hearts were hard. They'd just seen Jesus multiply food, but their hearts were hardened. And so what does Jesus do? He turns to his disciples and he says, get in the boat and go. across, While I dismiss the multitudes. Now here's what I want you to see. Jesus dismisses the multitudes, sends his disciples do something. He goes off to spend time alone with God, seven to eight hours. The multitudes go with blessing and having seen a miracle, the disciples go into a storm. He says, get in the boat, go to the other side, I'll meet you there. They get in the boat, a couple hours in, they're in a massive storm and they're freaking out. And Jesus comes down walking on the water. Here's the difference between the multitudes and disciples. Multitudes want to see Jesus do something. Disciples have given up everything to follow Him. Jesus blesses, He loves the multitudes. He loves them and He blesses them and He sends them home with takeaway boxes. Provision and abundance, He blesses them, but He dismisses them. And the disciples, He continues to journey with and He sends them into a storm. And here's the thing, the disciples go into a storm. Jesus comes down walking on the water. Now, can you just picture this for a second? You're in a storm. These are massive waves, I've heard that the Sea of Galilee, the storms that hit that thing are serious. These waves are big, right? And Jesus comes walking on the water in the storm, and the first thing they say is, it's a ghost, right? Because I don't know about you, but I've never seen somebody just randomly come walking through a storm, so it's probably the first, you probably would have said the same. Suddenly they said, but Peter says something so beautiful and so interesting. He says, Lord, if it's you, call me, and I'll get out. Why does he do that? Because he gave his life. He's given everything. Gave up his livelihood. Gave up everything for one reason. To follow a man who called him. Jesus said, follow me. And immediately they dropped their nets and dropped everything and followed Jesus. And now Peter's given himself to this. He doesn't understand everything. He's not even sure what the heck is happening. But he's looking at a supernatural man on the water. And he's saying, all I know is that I've gone too far to turn back now. I gave up everything to follow this man. Lord, if it's you, call me. And Jesus says, come, and he gets out the boat. And everyone gives Peter a hard time about the fact that he, he you know, fell in the water, but he walked on water. It rocks me. I go like, there's something about Peter that it hits my heart. I'm like, this guy just, he, he really didn't get it right. He got it wrong in so many areas. But the, the one thing that he understood was, I've given you everything. Like, I might be the guy who chops guys' ears off and, like, says the wrong things and rebukes my own Lord, you know. And Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. Like, Jesus called Peter Satan, right? Like, that's intense. So, Peter's like, he's the guy who just puts his foot in it all the time. But, but what I love about him is he's like, I'm in. I don't know. Like, I, there's someone standing on the water, and it kind of looks like Jesus. It's like the supernatural man. And they said, ghost, but I recognize something about him. And so call me if it's you. You call me. And if I hear the voice that I heard, call me to drop my nets and follow you. If I hear the voice, I'll get out because I'm in. That's the difference between a disciple and the multitudes. And I promise you what's happening now, Holy Spirit is looking for disciples. He wants to disciple the church again. You know, I get worried. We keep having these statements of like, you know what the church needs more is discipleship. We've lacked discipleship. No, what we need more is the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's going to, he's the one who disciples the church. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can be obedient to him and actually make disciples. To think we can do anything in the church outside of him is is an insult. But I love Peter gets out and he walks on the water. And then he turns and sees, holy moly, I'm walking on water. You know, everyone gives him a hard time. I'm like, come on, really? You think you would walk on the water and be like, wow, this is like... You know, not a chance. You're you're like standing there thinking, oh my goodness, and there's waves and wind, and he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he falls, and it says immediately, Jesus caught him. Immediately, it wasn't like just let him let him just bob a little bit and you know, hey you have little faith, you know, pick him up. No, he caught him. In other words, like Jesus, he's so intentional about you. He loves you so much. You think you think he's gonna hold you under the water? No. He catches you immediately. And then, you know, when he says, hey, why did you doubt? He's not going like, oh, come on, dude, why did you doubt? That's not his heart. He's going like, hey, did you just see what you did? You just responded to my voice, and you just stepped into the supernatural realm. And you can stay there if you don't doubt. Why did you doubt? Because what Jesus is saying is, hey, you're actually, I'm, I'm making a way for you to just walk on water with me. Just don't doubt. So Holy Spirit is building this kind of people. Of people that might not understand everything. They might not have it all figured out, but they've said yes to him. And they know his voice. And it's this kind of people that he's building together as a, as a dwelling place. He's building together as a temple. It's it's a group. Of, it's not just about prayer rooms. It's not. It's about his presence. It's about getting to. It's not just about church services. It's not just about outreach and evangelism. It's about the kingdom of heaven in the midst of the people of God, being demonstrated, being known. Are you kind of hearing what I'm saying? I know this is maybe not the typical Pentecost message, but it's like, I don't, I think, I think we, we do a disservice to the Holy Spirit if all we preach about Him is that, hey, you get baptized and you begin to speak in tongues. It's like we've reduced Him to, you know, come on, this is the Spirit of Jesus. You know, when, last night when I was preparing this, I asked Jess, I couldn't help myself. I was like, man, i got to tell you this revelation, you know. And most of the stuff I said, I, I, she's heard me say a million times, but it's like something comes alive in my spirit that I was pacing up and down my house. i was like, Lord, you are incredible. Oh, oh, oh. Jeez, this is what happens because something inside of me is like groaning. Do you know, I can, I can tell, man. Like I, when I look at somebody, I can tell if you know him or not. There's something in, in these, these people's eyes where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm given to this man. This incredible man, he's the lover of my soul. I might be a mess and I'm on a journey, I'm figuring things out, but I, I saw him. I heard him, he touched me. You know, when you study in the gospels, the multitudes, it says that they came just to touch the hem of his garment. <laughs> what kind of man is this? That it's like if I could just get close to him and just touch the bottom of his clothing. And the Holy Spirit is the very spirit of Jesus himself. And now he's inside of me. This is what rocks me. He's calling me home. <laughs> he looks, I love, I think it's, uh, I can't remember who said this, one of the speakers, but they described it like this. He sits in the theater of your soul and he likes what he sees. And you go like, no way. You don't know what's happening. You know, there's some stuff in that place, Lord, that you, but he's going like, I come to minister the finished work of Jesus. If you'll believe what I say about you, you'll walk in truth. And so we see in Acts, there's an outpouring in chapter two. Thousands get saved, the Lord is adding to the number, Holy Spirit's building his church. But you know what you see? Leadership. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In case any of you thought you were gonna leave. What you see, and this is, this is a big one for me because um, I'm seeing it across the church. Um, do you know that Jesus loves leadership? He loves his leaders. He loves leadership. And he puts leaders in place, not for control, not for manipulation, not for any of that, but because there's a way in which his government operates. And he calls leaders need to be servants. They need to serve the body. Paul says the apostle is the lowest of the low. Why? Because you, you, you're called to be a foundation. But the only way the body functions is when they're in submission to one another. And what we have now is a fractured church because there's no submission. Because I'd rather be right than submitted. Are you with me? And when I say this, you know what's funny? Um, I'm getting a reputation at the moment of, this, of being the submission guy for some reason. Like people, like every time you speak, you talk about submission. And it's because I feel the Holy Spirit on it. It's like I know like I know that when I'm submitted, there's, there's a culture of honor that's formed in my heart and he likes it. <laughs> Remember, he's a person. He likes things and he doesn't like things. And I'm realizing more and more there are moments, even in my own life, where I'll do something or say something or operate in a certain way and I feel the Holy Spirit in me going like, I didn't like that. And then it's just quick to say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I think, I think we allow sin to, to continue in our lives in certain ways because we've disguised it as something called personality. That's just my personality. I'm just a, I'm a little bit, you know, short-tempered. It's just my personality. You know, it's not. You need to get redeemed. You need to let the Holy Spirit touch these areas of your life. You know, when I'm tired, I feel it. I go, Lord, I'm tired and I know I, I, things are happening here that is not you. Can you minister to me? I need to receive your nature, Lord. Help me. Help me to love people. While we were in Pochev's room, at the end, there was about um, probably 150, 200, maybe more people queued up waiting for me to pray for them for healing. And I looked at this queue, and I was like, Lord, we only have 90-something people on a Sunday in this room, and I pray for like maybe 10 of them, you know, after the service. This is like 200 people. I'm going to be exhausted. How am I going to do this? Lord, I want everyone to experience you, and I'm worried that they're going to experience me and not you, right? And I I remember I I, I kind of was overwhelmed. I took a moment. I'm like, Lord, I I just started to pray in the Spirit. I just received your anointing. And I felt the anointing of the Holy Spirit come on my body. And every single person, we stayed for another two hours after the service, every single person encountered the Lord in power. And I wasn't tired. And I said, Lord, I've done this before in my own strength, and it was awful. But there's something about stepping into that place of dependence on the Holy Spirit and realizing you're building something. See, if you would allow the Holy Spirit to reveal Himself to you in a, in a greater way, you'd see that it's actually not just about you. It's impossible to be filled with Him and think that life actually revolves around you. It doesn't. You see, Jesus has this thing about being a disciple. He says, He says, if any man would follow Me, if anyone would come after Me or follow Me, guess what? Do you, what do you have to do? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. That's intense, right? He's saying, this is the difference between disciples and multitudes. Multitudes come for the bread. Disciples come for life. They want to follow Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is looking for disciples, and He he will come upon disciples in power. You know, um, I have been on a journey, but I want to just say this. We need manifestations of the Holy Spirit, because it confirms the proclamation of the gospel. What we don't need to do is chase signs and wonders and miss the gospel. Are you with me? Our job is to go after Jesus, follow him, and preach the message, the gospel that he came and introduced to the earth. And when we do that, it is guaranteed that the Spirit of Jesus will confirm that message. And he's just looking for a group of people who will believe that. Do you know, when we talk about, uh, we're on a journey, and and I'm so excited for tonight. Really, I'd encourage you to be there. Um, We're on a journey of cultivating a culture of prayer in our church, of just literally coming to minister to the Lord, not a place to just come with your, your shopping list, your prayer shopping list, Lord, thank you for my promotion. Thank you for my upgrade. Thank you for a new phone. Not that. Lord, thank you that I've been born again by the Spirit of God, that I'm alive in you and I'm joined to the people of God, and we can come as priests and minister to your heart. That, that's what we're cultivating. But here's the thing. Sometimes we get familiar with the prayer room with church services, with how we do stuff. And so, so we, we have this default of how we think we host or cultivate His presence. And the thing is, we look on the outside, but God looks at your heart. You can get a group of people that stand together in a room, don't say a thing, don't make a noise, and the presence of God comes simply because of where your heart's postured. Are you with me? Everything else is just a tool and an opportunity to minister to Him. uh, areas where we can express worship to Him. But the reality is what He lands on, what He fills and possesses, it's you. You get to host Him. You get to carry Him. And it's important, I need to just touch on this very quickly, it's important that the foundations of your Christian life are built firmly on the revelation of His grace. Because if you don't build the foundations of your Christian walk on the grace of God, What happens is the moment that you feel like you've missed the mark, you allow guilt, shame, and condemnation to cripple you. And then you stay in the cycle of I feel kind of like I'm good with God, and then I'm not good with God. It's because you're listening to the wrong voice. If you listen, if you build your life on the voice of God, it's funny how he's really not interested with what you think you've done wrong. He paid that price already. Now what he's interested in is will you come into what I've made a way for you to walk in? Will you walk in the spirit? And when you do that, I'm going I'm to confirm my dream, my word, my gospel in you with power. I've said this before. If you will honor His presence with your life, He'll honor your life with His power. That's the Holy Spirit. We're not chasing power, but I expect it. Are you with me? I want His presence. I want His face. But I'm telling you now, it's impossible to come face to face with God and not walk in power. Impossible. Impossible. And lastly, I want to say this about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I really believe it's impossible to be baptized in in the Holy Spirit without feeling something. And you go, oh, you know, oh, he's preaching feelings. No, I'm not preaching feelings. We don't follow feelings. Feelings follow us. But here's the thing. Like, Like I said earlier, to be born of the Spirit is a faith thing. You receive it by faith. You're appropriated by faith, and you're born again. You didn't become a baby All over again, it's in your spirit man. Your spirit man is is made new. But when you are possessed by the Holy Spirit, in other words, when the, the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, there is not a single time in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, that you can say to me that they didn't experience His power upon them. Experience. He wants you to experience Him. So my thing is there's a lot of people that are now making theology out of their experience. Well, I've never felt the power of God touch me, so obviously it means that it's not always an experience. Sometimes it's only a faith thing. That's not true. If you haven't experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe just get hungry instead of getting disheartened. Maybe just stir an expectation in your heart that, God, you love me and you want to touch me, and so I want to be with you. And whatever that looks like, I'm not, because often most people who struggle with the manifestations of the Holy Spirit is because it's a spirit of comparison rather than receptivity. So it's like, well, I've never felt God come on me like I saw Courtney shake. You don't have to feel what other people felt, but he, he knows your heart language. And just quickly, I felt this one drop now. Some of you feel like you can actually be separated from him. You can't. It's impossible. Because it says that He made Himself one with your spirit. And that He is one with your spirit, crying out, Abba, Father, on your behalf. Meaning, even when you're doing something else and concentrating on that, the spirit of Jesus is inside of you crying out, Abba, Father, meaning you're in perfect intimacy whether you feel it or not. The, the journey of life is to recognize how to be aware of Him so that I can understand what He's doing in that moment. Not feel like, well, because I don't feel you, I obviously lost you. Now I've got to figure out how to get you back. The Holy Spirit's like a dove. He's not a dove. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? He's like a dove, meaning he's gentle. But the reality is he's he's not a weak little dove. You know, it's not like, well, I did this and he just disappeared and he left. That's not him. He's one with you. And I love this. The Holy Spirit speaks the language of Jesus. He speaks sonship. So if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, the language of your heart becomes father, son, father, daughter. You with me? It's impossible. Nothing can separate you from His love. How is that possible? Well, He's made His home inside of you. The Spirit of Jesus is in you. Why am I sharing all of this? I'm sharing this because it's so much more than We're praying for fire to hit your body, and you feel something, and you're, oh, okay, wow, and awesome. That was a wild meeting, but you leave this place unchanged. You go into work tomorrow or the next day, and the reality is your life's a mess. You're stressed out. You're barely coping, but hey, you had a lack of time on Sunday at church. Man, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that the Spirit of Jesus is inside of you, and yes, the power of God comes upon you and equips you to do everything He's called you to do but He's actually designed you to be a part of a family and a part of a body. It's why, it's why we value being together, because He does. That's, are you hearing me? It's not because we're trying to uh, do more to get more people. No, come on. Jesus will build His church, but the reality is we value being together because He does. And when we're together, there's something inside of us that blesses one another, that equips one another, sharpens one another. And you have an opportunity this morning hearing the gospel, just like I did when I was preparing this, where you hear the gospel and you hear the message and, and it can really move you like it did last night where it makes you want to do things. You know, you're know, you like, oh, Lord, I just love you. And, and I could easily right now uh, get Courtney to hold the cord and I could make you rush to the front. And I guarantee you, you feel the anointing on you now and you would probably weep or you'd laugh or you'd experience him. And I'm all for that and God does that and it's incredible. But I'm telling you what matters more to me right now in this moment is that tomorrow morning, when you wake up, you understand that the Spirit of Jesus is inside of you. And let me just say this to you. If you don't know, if you're like, I don't know if I have Him, you don't have Him. Can I just be real? It's not a thing of like, but um, I'm not, did I get the Holy Spirit or did I, as if God's like, you know, schizophrenic or something, like He messes with us, As if, like, yeah, well, I'm no, I'm not here and, you know. No, if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you have not just, the, not just born of the Spirit. See, when you get born again, you give your life to Jesus. He's automatically one with your spirit man. Because the born again experience can't happen outside of the Spirit. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where He comes upon you in power and fills you, you will know. When I was in Pottery Room, Gabriel said something. So He's like, if you stick your hand or your finger in the plug socket when it's on, you know. <laughs> right? When the power, electricity hits your body, I've never seen anybody put their finger in a plug socket, get shocked, and go like, I didn't feel anything. (laughs) It's just not true. And I want to also just say this to encourage you, because sometimes you go like, man, I've tried, I've gone after it, and I've never had it. Well, let me just tell you some of the stories of the men and women that we respect and admire. One of them is John G. Lake. If you've heard the stories of John G. Lake, the most incredible demonstration of power, baptism of the Holy Spirit, do you know that he fasted and prayed for seven months, Seven months, he committed himself to seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit because he wanted it in fullness. That's hunger. Smith Wigglesworth hears about the Lord's moving, people are getting filled with the Holy Spirit in a certain meeting and he goes to that meeting. And if I remember the story correct, he's he's pretty abrupt about it and he interrupts people and it's like, pray for me, you know? I need it. It's hunger, it's like, You were born for this. This isn't something of like, hey, maybe we should try out that Holy Spirit fire thing. You don't try him out. If you get him, you're dead. And then he comes alive. And now you figure out why you were born. So sometimes it's like, I know for me, when I'm going through a busy season and it's a bit hectic, I'm like, Lord, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Firstly, slow down, soul. Easy. Lord, I'm nothing without you. And if I'm feeling a little dry, it means I've neglected Him. Because the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit is that He, he wants to partner with you. You get to choose that He's Lord. But he won't, He's either Lord or He's not. He's not in between. He's never in between. He's either Lord or He's not. And when you yield to Him and He's Lord of your life, He moves in ways that you could never imagine or comprehend. Does that make sense? Thank you, Lord. We're going to talk about this more because I, I'm in the middle of a, a real deep study through the New Testament, especially around Paul's writings, and I'm astounded at the things that if you, if you just take bits of it uh, like we sometimes do out of context, you can miss the cry of Paul's heart. He is really passionately in pursuit of seeing the church made ready. <laughs> That's what you see. And we're in, uh, we're in a Bible study in the book of Revelation. I want to say to you, man, God is doing something through that book in our community. We're in the letters written to the churches, and it, it is stirring something inside of us about, wow, God is, he, he wants us ready. He's preparing us. And if you read, end of Revelation, the spirit and the bride say, come. Which means this, the bride is going to be so yielded to the Holy Spirit, so led by the Holy Spirit that our cry becomes one cry. And that's when the bride is ready for the return of Jesus, where the Spirit and the bride are one in their cry for Him to return. And then when He returns, He's going to rule and reign with His bride, with His body, with His dwelling place, His temple, forever. When we get to heaven, the temple is not made with hands. We are the temple of God. And now what the Holy Spirit's building is a people who are living in that future now. And often people would take this and go like, yeah, so that means, you know, we shouldn't have any buildings. We shouldn't have any leaders. We shouldn't have any structure. We shouldn't have. Please don't let a misrepresentation of God's heart in the church take away from His design. Are you with me? What, what, we, what we need is Jesus' leaders, not no leadership. What we need is the order and structure of heaven, not no structure. <laughs> Are you with me? I'm saying that because there's this weird thing hitting cities like Joburg and all over around, like, well, you know, we don't need leaders. We don't need. The church is actually just the people. Anywhere that you go and, oh, you're the church. No, that's not biblical. Now we're the. It's just the two of us. We just went out, We're the church. No, that's not biblical. You're believers, you're disciples of Jesus, but the church is actually something very specific by design. And it actually has leaders and structure and governance, and, and they, they actually do certain things. And all through the New Testament, it's full of the things that the church does. They're not just a group of people that do anything. They're not a wound-licking club in a coffee shop. Are you with me? They're not, a, they're not a, a group of people who are offended and upset, but they get together because, hey, we're the church. We can do what we want. There's no accountability in that, and it's not the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? And I'm saying that because the Lord's setting the church free from these things to be who God's called us to be. You won't be a son or a daughter in 24-7 church because one of us call you that. It'll be because you've given yourself to Him. And the fruit of your life will be sonship. And and it's beautiful to see, I promise I'm done, it's beautiful to see that that line is being drawn in the sand across the world today, that the, the sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit. The fruit is there. We've got a lot of people with a lot to say, a lot of pseudo-spiritual nonsense that's going on, a lot of witchcraft and garbage that's, that's going on in, in church circles and in the Christian world. And the reality is the true sons and daughters of God are those who are led by the Spirit, meaning you will see the fruit. Are you with me? That's why we need the body, accountability, standing together. So there's an opportunity for us as a church. I feel like God's going to really breathe on the different points of connection in the prayer room, in the home groups, in our men's time together. We're going to do a ladies thing soon, but even just in your times together as you meet and have dinners and fellowship with one another, have an expectation for the Holy Spirit to do a work in you that far surpasses what you think you have capacity for. And I'd encourage you if you're going, dude, I love what you're saying, and it's so encouraging, but man... You know, life's pretty busy, and I just don't have time for that. Well, then you need to go two weeks back and listen to what I shared two weeks ago about how you need to tell your job to get a life, or how you need to tell your boss that there's boundaries and there's lines and there's things your job doesn't dictate to you who you are or how you live. That's the Holy Spirit who does that. He's Lord. Your job is not Lord. Money's not Lord. It's a vehicle to actually release the kingdom of heaven. And I promise you, sometimes you have to make decisions that look like you're going to lose something, but you trust Jesus. Oh, if I don't do this, I might not get that deal. Well, is Holy Spirit saying doing it? If yes, do it. If not, don't do it. He's got you. Amen.